Hey, how are we doing this morning? Doing good? Doesn't sound like too good. <laughs> okay, doing okay, hopefully. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 14. We're going to spend just a few minutes there together this morning. Um, one of the things I want to do is just give you a quick update, share a little bit more about me. Now, I'm not only connected uh, being son of, of Pastor Ken, um, but I'm also a supported missionary of the church here. Um, we're with an organization called Verge Ministries, where we partner with local churches, campuses, leaders who want to reach college students and young adults. And uh, so we have the opportunity right now to be connected with, I think, 44, 45 different churches and ministry leaders all around the country. And in fact, in a couple days, we're going to be heading out to the northwest, to Portland, Seattle, uh, eastern Oregon, eastern Washington, to be working with some of our leaders there. Um, and so uh, we'd love for you to continue to pray for us as we continue to, to reach a, an important age group that is very disconnected to Jesus, disconnected to the local church, and we want to be a part of helping make that uh, difference. One of the things you also can be praying about is in the next uh, upcoming weeks, we have some shifts that we see on the horizon for our ministry. Um, what I would kind of describe as pivot points, some significant things happening. And so um, in November, we're going to be making kind of a huge kind of push, letting you know about for our family and for our ministry, some shifts that we're making. And so we'd love for you, if you're not connected with us, we'd love for you to be connected with us on our a physical newsletter list or email list or our social media. You can find us there as well, and we'll be kind of letting you know about some of those things. And uh, we just appreciate your prayers. Always a chance to just say thank you for being a part of being behind our family and our ministry and being a part of impacting leaders all around the country. And so just thank you for being a part of that. I was thinking today, how many of you did crazy stuff when you were pursuing your spouse? Anybody? <laughs> Two of us. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe you're kind of embarrassed to raise your hand. So I mean, sometimes you do, right? Sometimes you just like you'll you'll do extra whatever. You, you're you're extra passionate. You do kind of some crazy stuff sometimes when you're pursuing or dating or have an intense relationship. I was thinking about a couple of those examples between my wife and I. Um, one of them I remember uh, in college, I was we were dating at the time, and I was. Uh, it, going to do a mission trip to the Philippines. So we went to the Philippines two and a half weeks with our basketball team. Um, we were doing ministry in the Philippines. We put on camps and exhibition games, and then we would partner with local churches and do evangelistic outreach and share and encourage leaders, share the gospel uh, with kids, and a tremendous couple of weeks. Well, we were kind of winding down on the end of that trip, and one of the guys comes to me who has a girl that he's pursuing and eventually married, with another guy, and they said, hey, for a few extra bucks, we can get back home 24 hours early, right? So we were going to go to Hong Kong for a couple extra days to kind of unwind, and there was just some extra things. we. So we, like, over the next several hours, we were making phone calls and really like, yeah, you know, to, to be back 24 hours earlier, like, was important to me. And so I was willing to go that extra pay some extra money, like take the energy and to do that. Another one I remember, so we, before the Philippines, about a month, we're sitting in Jen's uh, home with her roommate and we're sitting there and uh, Philippines is about three, four weeks away. And one of the things is I'd never met like her family or some of her close friends in, in the Sacramento area. 
And and so we're looking at and we're like, man, when can we do? When can we make this happen? Because after the Philippines is going to get crazy. And so we're looking at the calendar. It's a, it's like seven o'clock at night, and I don't know who remembers. We kind of look at each other and like, we could go this weekend. It's like Friday night, but I'm like, but I have to preach on Sunday morning at our church, but we could still make it. And so we're like, let's go. And so I rush off. We pack 8 p.m. We leave Portland, drive all night, okay? I remember meeting your mom for the first time with a blanket covered over my face, 6 a.m. in Sacramento, hang out, sleep a couple hours, hang out with them, meet their friends, 11 o'clock at night, drive from Sacramento all night to Portland, get in 30 minutes before the church starts so I could get on stage and preach. Now, if you were to ask me to do that now, I'm like, I don't know, you know, but at that time I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Or I I was thinking about another story um, when Jen was pregnant with the twins, right? So these are our first couple and she got super sick. And so part of the routine was, is that she needed to get food before she even sat up in bed, right? And so I would get up and make oatmeal for her or whatever. So she would at least like, like throw up half as less throughout the day. You know, you know, some of you women, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so, yeah, and so that was happening. And I remember a couple times at, at night, we'd be watching a movie and we'd be hanging out. And all of a sudden, she'd get the look in her eyes. And she'd look at me and she'd go, Taco Bell, bean burrito, now. <laughs> okay. And I would take off and go and get her a burrito because that's what she needed, right? And I look at that and you laugh and whatever. But here's the thing is, is, it's crazy to me to think about, it. isn't it interesting that when we do this for a spouse or somebody that we're dating or a close friend, that it's acceptable, but when we live our life for this like Jesus, we're considered a Jesus freak, right? Like when we look at a spousal relationship, it's okay. Like that's fair game. It's, it's expected. Yeah, totally. If you're in love with somebody, you're passionate about somebody, you'll do whatever it takes to, to woo them or, or to build that relationship. And, but when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we get labeled as a Jesus freak. And I remember even in the starting days of our ministry, right, um, the conversations I would have with people. So we started Verge Ministries from nothing. And I remember in those early days, like, okay, we're going to step on faith and we're going to like believe that God is, is leading us towards this. And all of a sudden we find out we're pregnant with our fifth kid and we're like, oh, you know, this is kind of crazy. And I would remember people, God-fearing, godly people coming to me and saying, do you think that's really wise? Do you think that's really wise that you do that? But even though I knew in my heart that this was what I was supposed to do, I was supposed to follow what God had called me to do. Here's the problem I was thinking about even today as we look at this passage in Mark chapter 14. The problem I think about is, is would our lives reflect us as loving Jesus? Like if somebody were to look at your life or were to look at my life and begin to dissect it and kind of pick it apart and see how I respond and see what I do, like would they see me as somebody who loves Jesus? Would they see me as somebody who is passionate about Jesus? Would they see me as somebody who does whatever it takes because of my relationship with Jesus? And would they say the same about you? See, here's one of the interesting things as we read the Scriptures, is love is always the identifier and the connector to Jesus. 
In the scriptures, they talk about that we're supposed to love people, we're supposed to love God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that they will know that you are my disciples by how? By your love. Like love is going to be the identifying connector between us and between Jesus. So I want to look at uh, Mark chapter 14 for a few minutes here this morning. Um, and so if you follow along with me on your digital device or your Bible, there should be maybe some Bibles around you as well. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 in Mark chapter 14. Here's what it says as we read it together. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now, this is uh, beginning to wind down. Jesus is going into the festival where he is beginning to move towards his death on the cross. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table, the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. To me, the poor you always have with you, you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand them over. And so what I want to do for just a few minutes here this morning is I want to make three observations of this young lady, of this woman. I want to make three observations of things that we see about her and then what I want to do on the back side is ask three questions. And those three questions are questions of reflection, of saying, do, do I identify myself as this? Is this something that is, is consistent with me? And so three observations, three questions. And even for myself over this last week of having to wrestle with some of these questions and doing some personal reflection of saying, is this consistent with my life? Here, here's the first observation that we see. The first observation we see about this woman is, is that she had a heart that was sensitive to Jesus. That she had a heart that was sensitive to Jesus. See, this woman realized that she was with Jesus. She, she understood the moment. She understood, in fact, if you know who this woman is, in John's account, it tells us that this is actually Mary the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And so you begin to, if you remember it all, Mary, there's even another story that we see of this tension between Mary and Martha where Martha comes to Jesus when they're at their home and says, man, Mary needs to be helping me. 
Like, I'm busy with all the preparations that had to be made. And and Jesus says, Martha, like, you don't understand. Mary has chosen what is better. She is sitting at the Lord's feet, at my feet, listening to me. See, she understood the moment. See, this is consistent in a heart that is sensitive to Jesus. It's interesting, a couple days ago, I was at breakfast with a group of pastors, and a few of them were from Africa. And these African pastors were over here doing some conferences and some different connections with different ministries. And they were beginning to have this dialogue, this very heated dialogue in the midst of Perkins. And I don't know if you've ever been with like an African culture. Like it was getting loud. It was, it was kind of crazy. And so they're beginning to talk to us about some issues that they're having in some of their different countries with pastors, right, who, who could justify whatever they wanted to do through either the scriptures or just because that they were pastor. And so they could have extramarital affairs, they could, they, they could do illegal things, they could do kind of whatever they wanted to do, and the response to that was, well, I'm a pastor, or I could take this obscure verse in the Old Testament to somehow justify what I'm doing. And we're having this conversation in the midst, and they're asking me, Pastor, what do you, what do you think about this? And, and we're dialoguing and discussing this. It was interesting because one of the things that we came to a conclusion in the midst of that was the lack of responsiveness to God, right? a, a lack of responding. In fact, one of the conclusions we came to was it is actually legitimately possible they cannot be saved. Like, like that is a legit possibility. Just because somebody is on stage and can wave a Bible in your face doesn't mean that their heart has been regenerated. Doesn't mean that they've been captured by the love of God and that God has called them to himself. That it was a legitimate issue, said, or the other issue was they could be like repressing the Holy Spirit. They could be like purposely ignoring the promptings of the Spirit and God and saying, I want you to do this, respond this way, repent, stop doing this. And they actually could be like repressing those things in their lack of sensitivity and responsiveness. See, here's a couple things that I know about a sensitive heart of what we see in the Bible. The first one is that God is ultimately concerned with our hearts, yet we also see that our actions are reflecting what is going on inside of us. That God is concerned with our hearts. That we would have pure hearts that are passionate toward Him. But He also says that there's fruit, that there's response that we see in our lives as we live every single day. Uh, This is one of the kind of issues with my kids that I I kind of push against. You ever have one of your kids who say they're sorry, but you know they're not really sorry? Like every once in a while I'll catch one of my kids saying, well, sorry, and I'm like, well, not really, right? Let, let's talk about a little bit like what's going on in your heart in this moment. Or you had somebody who apologizes and says, I'm sorry, but, right? And make excuses. Well, I'm sorry, but if, if they would have done this, then I would have, are they really sorry? They're not, right? Like they're actions, but you know that something is going on inside of their hearts. You know that there is a different thing that they're trying to communicate. But what we see, even in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things I love about Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is going after the heart of people, right? He's saying, yes, the actions are important, but those actions also reflect the heart. So you've heard it say, don't commit adultery, which I'm totally going to agree with. But I'm also going to tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery 
in your heart. I, you've heard it say, Moses has told you, don't murder, but I'm telling you, even if there's hatred in your heart, you've basically murdered. And so there is an understanding that we need to be responsive to God, that he is concerned with our hearts, but also our actions reflect that. The second one I, I think about in the sensitivity to Jesus is Jesus always affirms appropriate response to him. He does. Like you see that throughout Scripture where Jesus is affirming appropriate response to him. Like you think about even in this passage where he affirms the appropriate response of Mary. Or you think about the criminal who's hanging on the cross with Jesus. Who one criminal's like, like totally belittling Jesus and the other criminal says, what are you doing? Like, do you not understand who this person is? Or Zacchaeus, who's hanging out in a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Or in Luke chapter 7, the centurion, a Roman officer, who says to Jesus, like, I, I, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence because I know who you are. And Jesus says about the centurion, I haven't even found such great faith in all of Israel. See, what we see is Jesus is affirming to our response to him. Here, listen to this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Just listen to these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. And so what he's talking about there is, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and responds to those words. And so what Jesus is looking for is a response to him. And this is what we see within this young gal, Mary, is a, is a heart that is sensitive to Jesus. And here's the question for us, though. Do we have a heart that is sensitive to Jesus? Do we have a heart that is sensitive to Jesus? That when Jesus speaks, when Jesus calls us to do things, when Jesus, when we understand in the presence of Jesus that we are responding, do we have a heart that is sensitive to Jesus? See, because I think there's a difference between like going to church that we like put on a pedestal and being responsive to Jesus. Like we can argue like, yeah, I, I've been at church. I said a prayer when I was a kid. I did X, Y, or Z. And my question to you is, is there fruit that would say that I'm responding to Jesus? That I'm interacting with Jesus? That Jesus is pushing on my life and I'm responding in different ways because of what He is challenging me or speaking to me or telling me to do? Do we have a heart that is sensitive to Jesus? And so that's the first observation. A heart that is sensitive. The second thing that we see from this woman is a sacrificial heart. A sacrificial heart. See, what, what, what the text tells us in this is the perfume, the perfume that was broken on Jesus could have helped pay for the poor. And so this is not some cheap Walmart perfume. Okay? This is actually, it cost her something. It was actually of great worth to her. And she actually used that and, and broke that jar and the perfume ran on Jesus and it cost her something to do that. See, I love this story because of the sacrificial heart of this young gal. 
See, a lot of times what we need to understand is our culture often could focus on the amount but not on the sacrifice of what it costs us to do something. I love this story. Listen to this story in Mark chapter 12, just a couple chapters later. And Jesus sat down in opposite of the place they were offering, and he put, and he watched the crowds as they put their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put two small copper coins worth only a few cents. So these guys are coming by and they're, they're putting in out of their great wealth and this woman comes by who's a widow and she throws in two little coins and Jesus calling his disciples to him said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They gave out of their great wealth, but she gave out of their poverty and put everything, all she had to live on. See, one of the things that I, this, this story of Mary shows us is a sacrificial heart. I mean, I, there's a couple people that come to, you ever know somebody who actually sacrifices quite a bit? Like it actually costs them? There's a couple people who um, support us as missionaries that I know how much it costs them. Like I know their standard of living. I know that that little amount is a pretty significant percentage of their monthly income and is costing them quite a bit, that they are sacrificing. Think about another story, just a crazy story I heard this last uh, fall a year ago. Um, we were, Jen and I were down in Orlando, and my friend Troy works down in Orlando, and he's with a, a kind of a bigger Christian organization down there. Um, and, and there's a, a guy, he was trying to create some like training in schools in Africa, right? And so Troy, his job was is to help this guy Bruce do some fundraising for his ministry. And so often they would get into meetings with business people or pastors and say, hey, I want you to be a part of helping us get behind what we're trying to do here in Africa, right? And so we want you to get behind us and we want you to sacrifice and be a part of this. And Troy tells me the story that he was sitting there with this guy, uh, the business person and Bruce, and Bruce is making this huge pitch, like, get behind us. Like, this is going to be amazing. And there's going to be, you know, this is how many churches are going to be impacted and the impact in the countries that they're a part of. And so the guy finally says, okay, Bruce, I'm good. So he pulls out a checkbook, writes a check, $500,000. Rips it off, hands it to Bruce, says, there you go. Bruce takes it, looks at it. This was Troy's telling me this. And he says, um, I don't want your $500,000. He says, why don't you go back and pray? And then when you have something that actually affects you and that's sacrificial to you, then you come back and you can be a part of what we're doing. I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I have, you know, the, to be able to do that. You know, I'm a missionary and be like, $500,000. No, you can go back and take your $500,000 with you. Well, a couple days later, this guy comes and writes a $5 million check. And it cost him something. And that's what Bruce was after. And this is what he's telling the story is that it was costing him something. See, the question for us is, does it cost us? What are we willing to give up for Jesus? Or here's even a better question. What are we not willing to give up? What are we not willing to give up? 
You know, because sometimes what we do is we say, okay, God, you can have this part of my life in this area and over here, and I'll give you 10% of my finances here, but kind of this area over here, it's mine. This, this is my domain. This is my stuff. You can have whatever you want right here, but this over here is not mine. And sometimes the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is off the table when it comes to Jesus? What's off the table? Because what we see in this responsiveness is a heart that sacrifices. A heart that costs, something that costs us. That requires something from us. And we, this is our culture of how, like, how easy can we make faith, right? How easy can we make it? So I'll pass an offering plate, or I'll volunteer in the nursery once a month, or I'll do X, Y, or Z. But the question is, is like, is it really costing us something? Like, is it, is it really sacrificing if it's like a, a mild inconvenience? Is that really sacrifice? Because what Jesus is asking us to do is put everything on the table and say, all of that is yours, and whatever you ask of me, whatever you call me to do, I'm going to respond with a heart of sacrificing. What are we willing to give up? Here's the third observation that we see from Mary in this section. is we see a servant's heart. Not only do we see a heart that's responsive, not only do we see a heart that is sacrificial, but we also see a heart that is wanting to serve. See, this is a huge problem in our culture. It's like the direct opposite of that is selfishness. And we are selfish people. We are. Our motto is really one, two, three, it's all about me. Right? It is. Like that's our motto. We love to make it about us. Our culture's telling it to make it about you. Have it your way. Have it the way you want. Nobody should interfere with what's going on in your life. Like everything should be easy and clear and it should be all about you. The problem with that is the Bible. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that is the root of the first sin. Right, where we turn our back on God and say, I want to determine the rules for me. I want to determine what's right and wrong. Like, I want to be in the position of God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus addresses this and hey, let me, let me help you with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the root, rooting out that selfishness of wanting it to be about us. One of the stories I love is in Matthew chapter 20, we see a, a mom of the disciples. Right? And she comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, give me whatever I want. And Jesus is like, Okay, what do you want? And she says, Well, when you enter, when your kingdom is established, promise me that one of my sons will be at your right hand in a power and authority, and one of my sons will be at your left hand. And she, she looks at the woman and says, are, are you sure you know what you're asking for? And these sons kind of jump in and say, Yeah, yeah, that's what we want. Yeah, yeah, we totally want that. Right? And Jesus says, whoa, 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 let's let's slow down here. He says, what you don't understand is in my economy, everything is flipped upside down. And so you think you understand a position of power and authority, but I'm telling you that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so what Jesus does is he flips everything upside down and says power and authority is about serving. It's about putting ourselves under people and allowing people to, to, to sometimes do things that are crazy. A servant's heart. Here's the question for us here this morning. If Jesus modeled serving, do we have a heart to serve? If Jesus is our model, and he says my economy is in leadership is really about serving, do we have a heart to serve? It's something that my wife and I are challenged by all the time. How do we serve the people around us? How do we love the people around us? One of the things that that we've been really trying to do recently is just like even taking some of these college students and young adults who are around our area and even offer a meal for them. We have a couple of college students that come in and they wash their clothes in our house as a way of just serving, as a way of just releasing our rights and our authority and, and, and having a heart to serve. You know, here's, here's what I want to finish as we close here this morning. Is one of the passages I love is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's talking and he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And I love that because what Paul is saying is, man, like I have to. Like, you don't understand. I'm so compelled because of what Jesus has done for me that I have to respond. I have to serve. I have to love. And the problem with our culture is we make everything optional. We love to make things optional. And Paul is saying that I no longer live for me, but I live for him. And he is my model. And if he shows me a model of serving and giving, then that is what I'm going to do. You know, what if for us, I even think about this morning and reflection as I was praying this morning for you guys, of what if God got a hold of us in this area? What if we were to look at this young gal and say, is, is that reflectant of my life? Do I, do I have a heart that's responsive to Jesus? Do I have a heart that wants to sacrifice and to give? Do I have a heart that wants to serve? What the impact could be in your circles? What the impact could be as you begin to interact with people, as people would begin to look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. But I even think about what would happen collectively if that happened. What if there's two or three of you that got together and say, man, God is really challenging us in this area and we want to sacrifice and we want to give in such a way that we want to have, have an impact on our schools and on our campus, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. What could happen? What if five or 10 or 15 or even the whole church understood this? I'll tell you what to do, and I want to commend you for this, is it would lead you to do things sometimes that the world would see as kind of crazy. Like, I don't know if you heard about this or saw pictures of this, that uh, a bunch of you were involved in helping feed the football and the volleyball team here a few weeks ago. And I was talking to my dad about this and some of the other people, and the response even of the coach of like, that's crazy. Like, people just don't do that. 
People just open up a, a, a church and say, hey, you don't have food service for a while? Why don't you just come and eat and we'll just feed you? Man, look at that. That was a, a picture for me of a couple people who God was stirring something in them that had a massive impact. What if there are pockets all around the city of God stirring with two, three, or four people that would have an impact in your place of employment? Or in your high school? Or in your neighborhood? What would be the impact of that? Man, what an amazing thing to be a part of. And honestly, that is my prayer for you. Is that this church and you as individuals would be identified as people of extravagant love. That would love in such a way that they would respond to God. They'd love in such a way that they would sacrifice who they are and what they have. And they live in such a way that they would want to serve. That is my prayer for you individually myself individually, but also my prayer for you collectively as Grand Rapids Free Church. Man, I believe it can happen. And I'm praying that it does happen for the sake of the people around you in the city that God has placed you to be a part of. Let's pray together. God, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunities that you have that you've given us all around us. And God, I just pray, even in the story here this morning, um, God, that you would, you would hold up the scriptures as a mirror to our lives. And God, give us the courage to really reflect and to evaluate in our own lives. God, do we have a heart that's responsive to you? Do we, are we captured by your love and the scriptures and wanting to respond out of that and, and, and need to respond out of that? God, do we have a heart that wants to be sacrificial, to give things that cost us something? God, do we have a heart to want to serve and to love other people the way that you love them? And so, God, individually, I pray that you would do that in different people throughout this room, even this morning. But, God, I pray that there would be even more stories of people who are coming together in different pockets that are having an impact in the areas that they live. God, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word that you've given us. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.